Episode 4, An Irish Devil's Coal, by R. W. Murphy. I have attributed all the navigating during my lost hour to Brother Joe. That might be giving him more credit than is due. He had kept up with me, drink for drink, since our bell gig. He had me by a few pounds, but not enough to cause a metabolic miracle whereby he was not as affected as me. In all candor, we were both toast. Very brown, well done on both sides, toast. It was more likely it was a joint effort that between us caused us ultimately to be on the right train. It would seem that once aboard the Orange Line car, pointed north, book in hand, little more could go wrong. Since the ride north into the suburbs is part of my lost hour, I cannot be certain either way. We're probably lucky that Oak Grove was at the end of the line for two reasons. First, it made it harder to get off at the wrong stop. I am pretty sure Joe was still head navigator at that point. Of course, there might have been some form of spiritual intercession, which to this day escapes me. There may have been an epic battle of good versus evil, with the latter being bested as we headed to see one who we knew sat at the right hand, our mother. Secondly, it gave us more time to sober up before the last leg from Oak Grove Station to our parents' home. This is where my lost hour ended. I recall pulling into Oak Grove Station about 1.30 a.m. We seemed like the only two humans alive at that time of night. The station did not have another soul in it, and I still had the book. You will soon see why I said earlier that, at this point, it would appear that Lucifer might have been loosening his grip. Don't be deceived. His hold was never diminished. Pulling into Oak Grove Station on the train late at night with nobody around should have, under other circumstances, almost completed our trip. However, it was not to be. The tracks at that station are elevated about 10 to 12 feet above ground level. We had to make our way down a long flight of steel stairs and then over to the sole car sitting in the commuter parking lot. All that should have remained was a short drive to the house and some deferential mea culpas if our parents were still up and around when we got there. As I said above, it was not to be. As I ponder it again now, I am almost certain that it had to be one of the dark minions of Lucifer that gave him a not-so-gentle shove, but left me untouched. Whatever the catalyst, without warning, Joe did a total header down the stairs, from the boarding platform all the way to ground level, a good ten feet below. On the way down, during the fall, he carved himself up pretty well with cuts and abrasions, tore his trousers in numerous places, and became thoroughly blood-spattered. After hitting the ground, he had rolled a bit, so his clothes, face, and hands were also dirt-smeared. He looked like he had been in a pitched battle. Without Lucifer's hand, we likely would have found a payphone and called a cab for a ride from there. Unfortunately, with his assistance, and with the benefit of the logic that came with the largesse 
of the Cheers bartender, we were just plain stupid. Joe took the driving duties, and I became navigator as we headed out the last few miles. It became a problematic drive pretty quickly, required reflex responses notwithstanding. The town to which we were headed was laid out in neat blocks of old houses. There were block after block of houses that were almost all constructed the same way, painted the same, and had the same fieldstone wall in front of them. Clearly I have introduced some hyperbole here. Let it suffice to say that landmarks were extremely hard to come by when every neighborhood looked like the next in the inky dark, late, loaded, and lost. What a crew. However, it got even worse. We couldn't read the street signs in the dark as we drove blindly from block to block. The headlights from the car were too low when we got close to them. Farther back, they were illuminated, but Joe was nearsighted and hadn't brought his glasses. He was basically blind as a bat. I'm just the opposite, farsighted, but just as blind in the opposite way. I leave out here the salty conversation between us that had gone from paternal banter earlier to genuine anger when we started to drive in circles. Between us, we could not read any of the signs until finally Joe abruptly stopped the car. I got out, walked up to a street sign to read it, and was thankful that it was a street that I recognized. We were actually only a couple of blocks away from our destination. We were there in a matter of minutes once we got oriented. In retrospect, we should have spent more time in planning our homecoming. It was not pretty. In fact, there was adequate warning which we chose to ignore. It was now 2 a.m. However, there was an extra car in the driveway. We recognized it as belonging to a couple who are very good friends of our parents and about their ages. None of them being night owls in any way, the omen should have been obvious to us. It wasn't. Like many old New England homes, there was a finished recreation room that spanned half the basement area. It functioned as a den for informal gatherings. The living room and dining room were at the ground level above. The rec room was cozy with a fireplace and television. However, that night I knew in my heart that it was about to become site of the Inquisition. Clearly, my parents' friends had stayed late to share in the worrying about the two missing boys. They came from the same Irish Catholic stock, and much of the emotion was likely shared subconsciously. The woman was an old inner-city Boston hand, and had a pretty fair idea of just how much trouble we could get in if we went looking for it. My mother had also grown up a city girl, before marrying and moving to the suburbs. It was not lost on her either, although up to this point there had been no indication of peril in any form. Yet, they were quietly becoming more and more distraught as the clock ticked off the early Christmas morning minutes. When they heard our car drive up and the back door to the house open, they knew it was not Santa arriving. That fine line between concern and anger quickly began to shift in the direction of the latter. 
We were about to be double teamed by not only one Irish mother, but two. Even so, we still had a pretty wide open escape route had we chosen to use it. Only the wise survive in this type of situation, or so I thought at the time. Survival could be a hard-to-define concept at times. When we came in the back door, it was clear that the four of them were sitting downstairs in the den. There was a long flight of stairs from the kitchen down to the sitting area. I warned Joe as emphatically as I could at that point not to go down. If we had just called down, announced our presence, and hightailed it to bed... Later in the morning, there would have been some residual wrath about the late hour and lack of communication, but it would have paled to what actually did occur. End of Episode 4 An Irish Devil's Coal by R. W. Murphy